Don't call it a comb back I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. If someone daily wrote or tweeted about me and this show, I would read everything about it. This is the press box. Would Eric you feel Cox. disrespected, though? Yeah. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Depends on, depends on who it is. Right. With Grady and Bischoff. Hold on. Jared's disappointed in you. Who is it? ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, Jared. We have reached a Friday. You know VGK plays tonight, but the heck with that. We're going with something else. The first bite. Gosh dang it, Tyler. <laughs> Who is David Makoa? Oh my god, that's not even close. Oh, uh, that's 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 a difficult Muka? It's not Makoa. Um this is I'm... great. <laughs> this is great about uh who this person is because uh, I logged on. Well, I usually log on to meet you guys at so at six fifty nine for our seven o'clock show, but at like six fifty three, Tyler had tweeted something. So for seven minutes I've known who David Mwaka is. And uh, you might as well tell us, but now Milwaukee? I'm very excited. It appears, it appears Kevin Kruger wants to defend somebody. Oh, defense might happen yeah. for you know, being next year. At, least, at least that's the plan. I, I, I don't know if it's going to work out, but defense might be there. I've Do you want to give another shot, Jared? No, God, no. But I've heard that's what win championships. Um, no, oh, I don't think it, You've heard that. I don't know if it's true, though. Um, but David Mwaka is transferring in from Lamar to UNLV. He was the Southland Defensive Player of the Year last year. Uh, He blocks a lot of shots, and he's a very good defensive rebounder at Lamar. We talked to Brandon Chappelle earlier uh, this week. Brandon Chappelle, one of the new assistant coaches, came from Lamar. He played at Lamar. He was an assistant coach there, so David Mwaka is following Brandon Chappelle from Lamar to UNLV. The other interesting part about David Muwaka, he's 6'11". Uh, he is a big, intimidating presence. Uh, Mbake Zhang is gone. So this is essentially replacing Mbake Zhang on the roster with a different center that is shot block oriented, rebound oriented, but doesn't have much offensive upside. I think it was only like six points per game he averaged last year in the Southland Conference. So I don't know that you should expect much offense out of David Mwaka, but defensively, uh, that that seems to be the priority of the entire offseason. And David Mwaka fits that role because he was a conference defensive player of the year last season. 54-48. Listen, um, that, I, I keep, I'm going to re- keep refreshing Twitter now because you're right. Uh, my guess is uh, David Mwaka, and we keep refreshing Twitter by 729, and Mbake Jean will tell us where he's going next. Um <laughs> But, you know, look, good for you – know, I don't know what they're going to do offensively. Nobody knows. A lot of these kids who haven't had minutes might be really good, and all of a sudden they're scoring a lot. But I don't mind, at least on paper, the inference that he's trying to get better defensively because they've been so bad defensively for a long time that maybe he's saying, look, haven't been to the NCAA tournament in 2013. What has happened here isn't working, so let's try to do something else. Again, we, we kid about 54-48, and only because – None of these guys that are coming in right now have any kind of offensive evidence at the collegiate level, right, that they can score at the collegiate level. They haven't been given an opportunity, most of them, so we don't know. But 
you've gone over a few guys who seem to be good defensively. I don't have a problem with that. They, they've been really bad defensively. So he's probably saying to himself, we got to be different. I mean, it hasn't worked in, what, eight years? So if he has a way to get them closer to contending for an NCAA tournament berth, then give him a shot. Let, 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 let's see if this works. So in Lon Kruger's first season, their defensive efficiency ranked 110th in the country. After Lon Kruger's first season, they were in the top 70 every single year. And when Lon he was Kruger, there. Yeah, when he was there. Yeah. And Lon Kruger's last year, they were 21st in defensive efficiency. Um, then Dave Rice took over, and they stayed good defensively those first two years, 27th and 12th. They got up as high as 12 in defensive efficiency in Dave Rice's second year. His third year was 62. Dave Rice's fourth year was 122. And since then, UNLV has had one season where they were top 100 in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. Like they have been for basically seven seasons now, a bad defensive team, a below average defensive team. And last year was the worst. Last year, they were 217th in the country in defensive efficiency. They were they were horrific. On that side of the ball last year, they were bad in the Menzies era. They even Otzelberger's first year, even you know they had they had a good run. They finished tied for second in the Mountain West. They were still only 133rd in defensive efficiency. So they've been terrible on that side of the ball. It's not not just like bad or below average. They've been terrible on that side of the ball for quite a while now. So has Kruger maybe ignored some of the offensive side this year? It's possible. I think he's still got three roster spots to work with, so we'll see who they add for those three. That could change the way we look at it. But Kruger has somewhat ignored the offensive side, but if they fix the defense and this is a top 75 defense next year, it's probably not good enough to go to the NCAA tournament, but I think we could call that a success for Kruger in the offseason because they've been so bad on that side of the ball for so long. Well... And and is just well we don't know because I I don't know if you watched much Lamar basketball I I've, I've no, haven't seen this no. kid so but we're just going on stats and size and efficiency and all that is just is this a straight swap with Mbappe Jong or is there a chance that this guy is exponentially a better defensive player um, I so I would guess it's a straight swap would be my best bet here but I think there is a chance because here's the, the interesting part with Mbappe Jong is. He wasn't ever really a great one-on-one defender. Like, teams could throw it into the post against Mbake Zhang and, and score okay. Uh, Mbake Zhang was great as a help side defender. Mbake Zhang was great when somebody got beat off the dribble and he came over to block a shot. So Mbake Zhang had good defensive value, but it's not like he was some one-on-one dominant force. He, and he, he wasn't was not, He was not Keita. Right. He was not Keita either, where you right. wouldn't throw it into the post against right. him. So... There, there's a chance David Mwaka is better than Mbake Zhang because of that, but you're doing it at the Southland Conference. Like that, that is a that we're talking about a step up here in competition yes. because in a big one here because yes. like Ken, so Ken Palm ranks all the conferences too. Right. The Mountain yeah. West last year was the 11th best conference in college basketball. Mm-hmm. The Southland was the 30th. So we're talking Whoa. about one of the one of the three worst conferences in college basketball last season. Whoa. So it's a That's it's a, a big jump. Right. It's a big step up. Like the Summit League, for example, where David Jenkins had to make that step up was sixteenth best. So the South you're talking is, almost you're talking double this. Right, exactly. Wow. So it's a big jump up for David Mwaka. I wouldn't sit here and expect David Mwaka to make a, a massive impact or or, a, or a, an impact that's much more massive than what Mbake Zhang was going to make. It's probably going to be about the same. And 
there's some chance that it's better, but I wouldn't really expect it. All right. Well, again, he's a defensive player, and we've talked about it often. He just gave out the numbers. They've been terrible. So uh, I'm going to wait and see. I'm not going to judge anything. I mean, we can only judge what you've written and Mike and Sam, and you've written about all these guys, and I see the stats. And like I said, I mean, maybe these kids are just waiting for their opportunity. Now, are all of them going to come to the Mountain West and be really, really good? Probably not. The percentage just doesn't favor that. But if they're better defensively and you get a few of these kids that are coming in from Power Fives and the Big 12 – who, for whatever reasons, are much better offensive players than they were allowed to be seen, then he might have something for the first year. Is it good enough to beat Reno? Is it good enough to beat Colorado State? Is it good enough to beat San Diego State? We don't know that. But, you know, there might be improvement to the after the first year. Like, all right, I see what he's doing now. I see how he's building it. And he has a chance. Yeah, so here's what I want you to judge. We're not going to – we can't really judge the players because we're not going to – neither no. one of us is going to pretend to be a Lamar expert. But we need to judge UNLV assistant basketball coaches and their Twitter use when they land a recruit. Are you okay? You ready? You ready for the breakdown here? Should I go on Twitter? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what oh, it is. Okay, so, okay. Br- Brandon Chappelle, uh, he okay. tweeted out two hours ago, around five a.m. this morning. Uh, soon, the emoji that says "soon" with an arrow, and I'm, then I'm looking at it. Okay, and then B a red block B. A rebel with eyeballs. So soon, be a rebel. And then Carlin Hartman, the other assistant coach that Kevin Kruger hired, this one from Oklahoma, he tweeted times two with the eyeball emoji, which would imply that somebody else is committing to UNLV today. Um, Okay. But so how would you rate those two assistant coaches using Twitter, especially when you compare them against Marcus Arroyo and the rolling dice? Mm. Chappelle gets a B because there's no tiger emoji. Um, I think if, B. I think if there had been a tiger emoji, we'd have an A plus. But uh, and plus, Chappelle's up at five a.m. as a plus coach, on, the, on the weird portal, so he gets a B. Um, B. Uh, you know, Carlin Hartman's gonna a B plus because B I like plus. intrigue and mystery, and now he has everyone thinking. Right? You want to, you know, it's like writing a column or whatever. You want people to walk away thinking about it and being compelling. So I think they both get like strong B pluses, not A's just yet. It, give it time with these guys, but I think they're better than average. I mean, one's making you think, hey, who could it be? And I know you've got a few kids to talk about in terms of maybe it's one of those. And then Chappelle, he gets a B-plus just because he bought a guy who can essentially play defense. I might have to give him an A-minus because he actually <laughs> found someone on this team who can defend. So I might rethink my Chappelle grade because he actually he actually brought along a dude who might like block shots and defend somebody. B-plus. Here's, here's my question. When do they get the graphics team that Marcus Arroyo has access to? Well, to get get a truly strong A, obviously there has to be some dice or some cards or some weirdness in terms of Vegas. But maybe these guys, I don't know, let's be honest, are a little creative and don't want to go with the standard Vegas look and say, I'm going to be better than that because it's, I mean, how easy is it to roll some dice or throw out some cards? We're in Vegas. Like these guys, it appears they want to be a little different when they come in here. So I'm all for these two. I, I mean, we talked to Brandon Chappelle. We've not talked to uh, Carlin. We've not talked to him yet. But uh, I think Chappelle was great. He kind of played along with the whole Tiger King. I mean, that's why I'm glad we had him on because you got to see personality and see how people uh, play along. Um, and so far, I'll just leave it at that. The basketball coaches seem to play along more. Yeah, a little bit. Just a a little bit. plus. They haven't they haven't blocked me on Twitter yet, so yeah. I mean, they play, they play along, along a little bit. F They're okay with minus. Fun. 
But listen, I'm I am uh, on a burner account looking at Marcus Arroyo's tweets since I'm still blocked by him, and I'm, I'm looking at a video here of it's a it's a I don't it's a football field that turns into like a craps table, and then there's a bunch of poker chips that fall on, and then there's one that says Big UNLV on it. Like, let me get in here. I'm Big UNLV. Uh, that's what he's that's what he's tweeting that's what he's tweeting when he lands a recruit like we got it's a it's a full graphics display here we got to get that for the basketball team right are you like the well what's up i mean uh, i was just gonna ask is the burner account you're using the official esp in las vegas account because it's weird to have a burner account with more followers than your regular account no no it's the offensive it's the offensive oh, account he he hasn't see, figured out that that's you no he hasn't and no he's least, too busy doing graphics yeah, he's got um, good graphics. He does. I don't and I mean the basketball team needs them. We just got this, eyeball emojis. We need more than that. Well, I mean, we don't know this, so I'm going to give it 50-50 on the graphics with Arroyo because one, my hope is with as much work as they need to do to get a little better, I'd have someone doing this for me. Now I might have to okay things, but I don't know if I'm sitting here doing that myself because there's more important things out there. Nah. Let's pick a quarterback and win a game. Uh, so nah. if it's him. If it's him having someone do it, like, uh, you know, one of whoever out there, then I'm going to give him an A+. But if it's him doing it, I got to go C because you C. got a lot more important things to do out there. There is nothing more important than getting retweets, Ed. Coming up next, <laughs> did the Raiders get worse yesterday? He made some good plays. He got home a couple times. He uh, showed great energy and, and pursuit and uh, really had fun playing. He's been out a couple weeks, and, you know, Rod Marinelli, our new defensive line coach, thinks a lot of Arden Key. He's been one of his, uh, I think, most impressive guys on the practice field. It was good to see uh, it come out on game day yesterday. We need him on Sunday for sure. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. The Raiders made two cuts yesterday on their defensive line they have waived mo hurst and arden key both were drafted by john gruden in 2018 arden key in the third round and mo hurst in the fifth round um this offseason the raiders have made a lot of additions to the defensive line the big one was yannick and to play on the edge that's where arden key plays uh, but they also added Solomon Thomas, Quentin Jefferson at defensive tackle. Jonathan Hankins is there as well at the nose tackle spot. Um, so, do you think the Raiders have gotten better on the interior of their defensive line this offseason? That, that's the remain to be seen. Of the two I was most surprised, and you probably were most surprised at, at Mo Hurst, at least I was, um, I thought he had produced to a level that you would keep him until, you know, he may be soft. Thomas and Jefferson Hankins, these guys, you know, worked out, you know, and, and better than Mohurst. So that surprised me. Arden Key did not surprise me. Arden Key, to me, has done very little <laughs> since they got him. And, and here's the thing. I mean, I, did, I saw a quote yesterday. I don't remember this exact quote, but I, I, I hope more than anything it was said. Did Gruden actually have a quote at one point saying Arden Key would make people forget Khalil Mack? Now, I don't know if it was said, but let's just assume it was because it's actually hilarious if it did. So I, I want to believe it was said. Um, we did hear the quote that Jared just played on Rod Marinelli, uh, which, again, given they had Max Crosby, who say what you want about Max Crosby, he's produced and he's got the sacks and some pressure. That kind of surprised me as well. I think they always wanted Arden Key to be kind of this rush-end athletic guy. He's tall. He's you know got all the things they talk about, rangy and all this stuff and all that. 
and he just never became that. So if you tell me Arden Key was released yesterday, I wouldn't have been surprised if we had that morning. But I don't know about you. Mo Hurst surprised me. They might have added interior guys, but they better be pretty sure because I actually thought Mo Hurst was pretty good. So what's interesting about the Maurice Hurst one is that if you can, if you compare Maurice Hurst with Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson, the two main defensive tackles they signed this offseason, they're kind of similar. Um, if you look at sack totals, Mo Hurst has had eight in the last three seasons. Solomon Thomas had six in his first full or first full three seasons in the NFL. Quentin Jefferson has nine and a half the last three years. So they're pretty similar in terms of total sacks they're getting from the defensive tackle spot. Uh, pro football focus likes Mo Hurst a lot more than the other two. He was 19th uh, by pro football yeah, focus grades exactly. last year. Solomon Thomas has never been top 60. Uh, Quentin Jefferson was 28th in 2019, but he wasn't top 60 last year either. So pro football focus likes Hurst better. But at the end of the day, you're still talking about guys that haven't really produced a lot in terms of sacks and pressures and all that. They've been okay, but not great. Um, so comparatively, the three of them are kind of similar. Mohurst probably gets the edge there uh, over the three of them. But what's interesting is that Mohurst is the cheapest of the three. Um, and it's not a massive difference. Solomon Thomas is going to make $3.2 million against the cap this year. Quentin Jefferson, two point eight. Mohurst's cap hit was 2.2. So if you were deciding between the three of them, Mohurst is the cheapest. Like, they're not really much difference between the three. You'd think you'd keep Mohurst over the other two, or you wouldn't even sign the other two to begin with, is the way you should say it. So it's interesting because I don't, like, this isn't a mistake that's going to, like, cost the Raiders a playoff spot. Like, it's going to be a fairly small difference, no, Mohurst no. to Solomon Thomas. It's not, this is not the level of, signing Kenyon Drake when you don't have a free safety or a slot right, cornerback right, or a right, right tackle, right? Like that looks like, what are you Bad. doing? This yeah. is more or less like, okay, you're kind of talking about the same mediocre defensive tackles and who do you want, but it still doesn't seem like a great choice. It still doesn't seem like a good idea to get rid of the one defensive lineman the Raiders have had that has done anything well on the interior side of the ball. So like, to me, it's, it's not it's not awful. You're not like losing a game simply because you got rid of O'Hurst, but it still doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Then I'd love to know, and again, we don't talk to these guys but once a year usually, but I'd love to know kind of their thinking uh about this then. You know, he's the cheapest guy and they're kind of the same player. So and I don't even know if they'd let us know this because they're you know, they're you know, buttoned up when it comes to like off off field things or, you know, locker room things. So it has to be something more, right? I mean, it doesn't, I mean, here's the other thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Now, maybe they're in there lifting. Uh, we are, we're going to talk about what they decided on OTAs. I, they have film, obviously, on these guys. Would you not, I mean, you just said how close they are in, 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 a, you know, in ability and what they've done. I can't believe they've waived a guy just for football um, factors, right? I mean, especially the cheapest of the three. So I'd love to know what else is in play here. Why wouldn't you bring them into, well, not OTAs anymore, but camp and 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 compete? They didn't have to do – I mean, is this – it can't be a cap move, right? Or is it a cap move that they're clearing some space for someone else? I don't know. It just seems like you'd you'd have them compete this out because they're so close. It's not like the other two are just so much better than Mohurst. So I'd love to know all the reasoning behind this. 
I I would like to know how much Gus Bradley had a say on it because oh, that's true I, too. I I'm curious if Gus Bradley came out and said, "Hey, we can do better than Mo Hurst. I like these two guys that are kind of the same price, like right? I we like Solomon Thomas, and they're kind of the same price. So let's let's get Solomon Thomas in here, and then we can get rid of Mo Hurst and move on from that. So I'm curious how much Gus Bradley had to say in that because it is a new defensive coordinator, it is a new scheme. That might be that might be the simple answer that's, that Gus Bradley says I like Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson better. And listen, that's that's fine. The problem with that though is I don't think the Raiders have earned the benefit of the doubt of making the right choice when it comes to player evaluation over the last three years. Let me tell you something, and you might be onto something there. But if this was the main concern when he came out of the lab, they've got a lot of issues. <laughs> if this guy got out of the lab watching that defense the last few years and said, "Look, number one concern, we got to move on from Mo Hurst," then you know what? He didn't. He didn't spend much good time in the lab because I mean, <laughs> because there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. You know, uh, more important issues, and I think you'd agree on this defense than interior tackle. He, he came out of the lab and he went, "Did Art Key kick a guy in the face?" <laughs> No, and that guy threw a said, touchdown. Johnny, you told me Arden Key was Khalil Mack. <laughs> he kicked but, the guy in the face, and the guy threw a touchdown. It, like, if you look at the Raiders' offseason, this is the second most significant thing they've done on defense. Like, obviously, they signed Yannick Ngakwe to a big contract. That's the biggest signing they had yeah. of the offseason. So far, yeah. But outside of that, this, this is the second most impactful thing they've done is get rid of Mo Hurst and bring in Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson. They haven't changed the linebackers, and they've gotten rid of some guys in the secondary, but they haven't signed anybody new in the secondary. So, again, the, the, there's still free agents out there. The draft is, is around the corner, so they're still offseason to add players. Right. But right now, if you're looking and trying to evaluate what the Raiders have done on defense, Okay, good job. You got Yannick Ngakwe. You improved your edge rushers. Uh, but you probably just got worse with your second most impactful changes on the defensive tackle spot. Yeah. Um, and look, you're right. There's other guys out there. Now, Clowney, you know, dropped to Cleveland, and he, he's gone. And But there are other names out there, especially at the safety position. Like, I'm still waiting. And maybe there, here's the other thing. At this point, guys like Richard Sherman and others, I read something the other day from an agent where – at this point, it could be a team like the Raiders will wait through the draft, right? So you go through the draft with an idea of who you want and what positions you want to fill. But a guy like Sherman, it might have been his agent who said, we expect it to go through the draft. And then people will look at their rosters and say, hey, you know, let's bring him in. We need him. It might be what the Raiders are doing at corner and safety where they're going to try to draft guys. And if not, there's other ones out there who are waiting who haven't been signed. So, you know, we, I think we have to wait for the full evaluation of what this defense is going to look like. But you're right. To this point, these moves yesterday are kind of the significant ones they've made. And I'm not so sure. Well, I'm, I am sure it's not like they've gotten better. I don't know if they've gotten worse because we haven't seen these other guys play for the Raiders. But I, they haven't gotten better, at, you know, in the interior. Yeah, it, it's very hard to say that. Quick rundown yeah. on John Gruden's first draft in 2018. He made nine picks. Two of those nine are still on the roster. Colton Miller got an extension, was his first-round pick. Brandon Parker was a mid-round pick who is still on the roster, although he hasn't shown he can actually play at a starter level. But P.J. Hall, Arden Key, Nick Nelson, Mohurst, Johnny Townsend, Azeem Victor, and Marcel Aitman. Uh, I think Aitman might actually be like on the practice squad. But basically, they're not getting any production outside of Colton Miller from John Gruden's first-ever draft with the Raiders. So... Not a great 2018 draft. Mike Mayock came to save the day. Really? All right, coming up next, John. Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus is going to join the show. That goes to 
part of the reason why I, I want to come back because I know this team is built to win and, and ready to win and, and take that next step for a championship. So I wanted to come be a part of it. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, how are you this morning? Hey, Austin. Doing great, man. How are yourself? We are good. So uh, I, I did want to start here. We've had a couple of teams now, including the Raiders, say they're not going to participate in, in voluntary workouts this month. Uh, do you make anything of that? Is that going to be a big deal this offseason, or, or do you think teams will be fine and they'll they'll live on without their voluntary workouts? I mean, I think it would be fine after last year. I don't think there's any hurdle we can't overcome. I mean, there was largely Zoom meetings for every single practice last year, so I definitely think optional off-season OTAs or something you can definitely move past from. If anything, it only hurts. It only continues to hurt the development of young players, the development of rookies last year, trying to get more chemistry, trying to get you know all that stuff matters. And I definitely think that's where my mind immediately jumps. Hopefully, though, a lot of this is behind us when mandatory you know workouts start to happen and obviously rookie training camp and all that stuff. Uh, specifically, because you've talked to us about us uh, before with Gus Bradley's scheme. Is there anything about it which makes it more difficult or less difficult for those who haven't been in it to learn it through Zoom, at least during OTAs? I mean, I don't think it's any more or less difficult than any other defense in the NFL. I think the only issue is that you're teaching it to everyone. You know, you're teaching it to all, you know, all the players on that defense. There's a lot of new faces on that defense. I think they have, what, 13 defensive linemen on the roster. Unique Ngakwe, very familiar with it. I think Hankins has been in similar systems in the past. I think it's also a big reason why they maybe moved on from Maurice Hurst. I do think that he could have been a penetrating three technique in that defense, but I do think that Gus Bradley has his eyes set on three, four defensive end types, guys with long arms, guys that can two-gap, like uh, what he had with Jerry Tillery, what he's had with uh, you know Isaac Rochelle in Los Angeles. Like He needs guys that have long arms, that can two-gap, that can play big boy ball down in the defense. And I think Maurice Hurst, biggest knock on him was he was undersized, not necessarily a massive fit. I mean, an Arden Key, very similar. Arden Key is not a run defender. You know, Arden Key is largely a pass rusher, and when you already have guys like Nassib and um, – not Nassib, sorry um, – Cleveland Furl and Max Crosby, and then obviously adding Unique Ngakwe, Arden Key kind of the odd person out. I do find it funny that you look back at that 2018 draft, I think I made the most bugaboo about the Colton Miller pick being a reach, and then you look at every other pick after that, they're all either cut or on the back end of the depth chart. <laughs> hold so, on now, hold on. Were you, you, weren't a ha- you weren't a fan of Johnny Townsend? <laughs> oh, Johnny Townsend, what a pick. Right after the other really good punter got taken. That was hilarious. That They took the... So I think it was Seattle who took the punter out of Texas, the number one punter in the country, and then they said, we still need a punter. Let's grab the second-best punter, man. Locking into positional need like that. People forget, too. People forget they traded up to, they traded up to the first pick of the third round to go get Brandon Parker at number 65. And Brandon Parker can't even see the field on as bad of a defense, it's, it, or as bad of an offensive line as we've had. So definitely interesting to see that for sure. So are you suggesting that Mike Mayock may have actually fixed the Raiders drafting problems, even though he hasn't necessarily done a good job of drafting so far? I don't think he's fixed anything. I don't think anything about the Las Vegas Raiders has been fixed in over two decades. I think I'll say that. I definitely think that it's an interesting to see you know, their draft history and how many top 100 picks they've had simply not pan out. And I think there's other issues as well, just not attacking positional value. I think the, you know, the hits with you know, Colton Miller, I think, is probably their best pick over the past three years, and Mike Mayock didn't even make that pick. Josh Jacobs, as good as he's been, is a position of low value. Jonathan Abrams has struggled. I think he could so- still struggle as a box safety in Gus Bradley's defense. Cleveland Furl hasn't lived up to expectation. Trayvon Mullen might get buried with a corner drafted in this, you know, in this year's class. Damon Arnett 
was drafted at 19th overall, and they still have a need at corner. So a lot of concerns, a lot of issues with how they've drafted or treated resources over the past few years. Marketing and public relations for the Raiders here in the press box. He has been 1100, 100.9 <laughs> FM. Uh, so uh, we are hearing now every day there's a new uh, story about, about who is going to be the third quarterback in this draft, and it's going back and forth. Have you come to a conclusion, or where do you think this actually goes? Yeah, I don't have a conclusion. I definitely think even the San Francisco 49ers are keeping this really close to the vest. I don't think that, you know, I, you know, talking to some people around the league, it sounds like they're not letting anyone know. So all those leaks that came out about Mac Jones, I think those were largely fabricated by intentional leaks from the San Francisco 49ers. And then you see betting markets now swing in favor of Justin Fields. I think he's minus 121 on most sports books to be the pick at number three. That's where I'd lean. That's where I'd lean as soon as they made the trade. You know, two seconds after they made that trade, I tweeted something out that Justin Fields has to be the pick. Now, a lot of people have speculated it was going to be Trey Lance so he could sit behind Jimmy G. And then obviously you saw this flurry of, Mac Jones, because Chris Sims likes Mac Jones. Chris Sims and Kyle Shanahan have matching tattoos. It's like all this stuff kind of falls out, and then here we are. So here we are talking about uh, Justin Fields now going number three overall, which I think is the best pick. If Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson are off the board, Justin Fields is the number three overall pick, in my opinion. Maybe, maybe I just didn't read enough yesterday. Do we know why, like, all the betting markets changed to Justin Fields yesterday? Like, was there anything that actually, like, concrete led to that? I was talking to my you know, my colleagues about this. Was it Justin Fields' second pro day? I don't know. Like maybe maybe it was him having a second pro day and Kyle Shanahan being there and a couple of nice pictures coming out of it. I'm not sure. It's it's interesting. I think a lot of the you know the the betting markets are interesting a discussion because I don't think it's necessarily always moved by intel or understanding of what's going to happen. Sometimes I think it's moved for interest. It's moved for handle. You know, like the betting markets want more handle on it. So you see things go in favor of Justin Fields. Potentially, you see more people start to bet on Mac Jones. I do think a lot of it is still, you know, a monetary uh, incentive rather than like actual tells or anything like that. It's funny because yesterday, uh, and it, this might be a lot of people's uh, view right now, but Herb Street had a had a Q and A with media, and he kept talking about he had never talked to Trey Lance until now, and he never like really got to know Trey Lance. Is he still kind of the wild card here? I mean, has he gotten to the point where we'll see on draft day some huge trade up to get him? I mean, are you expecting that where there's a lot of people interested that, you know, you haven't heard about or don't know about yet? No, I definitely think that the league is still very high on Trey Lance. From who I've talked to, I think there's a very good chance he goes at number four, whether that's Atlanta taking him at four or a team like Denver or New England coming up to go grab Trey Lance. I think what people forget about Trey Lance, is that he's only 20 years old. I mean, he, he's, he's still a very young player and was given the command of that North Dakota State offense to a level that, you know, 24-year-olds can't really do in college football. And I was talking to his teammate recently, Dylan Raiden, the offensive tackle that probably comes off the board inside the top 50, top 60 picks. And you talk about the culture at North Dakota State. I know it's FCS. I know it's not, you know, Division One. This isn't the SEC. But it's a winning culture. And the expectations at North Dakota State are absurd. And I think having Trey Lance there and the success he had at such a young age really pays into this guy having an upward trajectory. And then you throw in he's an insane runner. Then you throw in he's got probably the best cannon of any you know quarterback in this class. There's going to be a team that wants Trey Lance. And I think the perfect fit, honestly, is New England. With Cam Newton there, obviously, on a one-year deal, making that largely backup money, you have that as an option to develop Trey Lance in an offense that's obviously going to change a ton with Cam Newton running the football. That offensive line is a bunch of hogs. I think New England would be the best fit. I think they should make a play and trade up for him. Uh, you guys had a story up about why trading up doesn't work for most NFL teams. You've been telling us for a while leading up to the draft, you shouldn't trade up unless it's for a quarterback. 
is is the idea that you shouldn't trade up as simple as no NFL front office is particularly better at any other NFL front office at evaluating talent? I, I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is that, you know trading up for non quarterbacks. How good a player has to be, a non quarterback has to be to be better than the you know multiple picks that you're you know leveraging in that trade up is so difficult. Even you know people have talked about because Jerry Jones loves Kyle Pitts apparently. Oh, maybe they'll make a trade to go grab Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts is a generational tight end prospect. But how good Kyle Pitts would have to be to be better than what the Dallas Cowboys could take at 10 and then the future first and future second they give up is absurd. Like to be better than two top 50 picks, you know, three top 50 picks is just not easy. Like at tight end, you just can't accrue that level of value. You can only play 800 to 1,000 snaps a season. And that's if you don't get hurt compared to three other players at other positions that could be quarterbacks, all that type of stuff kind of comes into effect. I really think it comes down to, like, simple math. You can get three players playing 800 snaps for you, all top 50 picks, or one. And I think at a certain point, how much better can Kyle Pitts be than three other starters on your team? Uh, you're Mike Mayock, and maybe you're looking for bubble butts. He likes to use that term. We still haven't really figured out what that means, and I don't know if you guys are pro football focused, rank bubble butts. But if you're, rank, if you're picking in their spot right now, to whether safe or reach, who do you pick at this point if you're them? I, I think where I think they're leaning right now is if Micah Parsons and the off-field concerns lead to a significant slide, they're going to sprint the card in and go grab Micah Parsons at 17. If not... They're going to lock into the two offensive tackles, Christian Darasaw, Virginia Tech, or Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State. And I think I would lean one of those tackles, probably Darasaw over Jenkins, even though you can't be overconfident in your evaluation. Other analysts have Tevin Jenkins. I think either of those guys at 17 would in no way be a reach, could come in and start at right tackle for this team out of the gate. And it's a very valuable position to where Christian Darasaw, you draft him at 17, and he develops into an average to above-average starter like Colt Miller has, who I would call a top-20 player at his position. That's a hit. That's a win. You get an average to above average starting offensive tackle in the NFL with a first round pick. That is a win. I think that's exactly what the Raiders should do. The issues or the concerns, I think there's not, you know, the Micah Parsons pick, I think would be a luxury pick. You know, you already spent, you know, you broke the bank for Corey Littleton. Nick Wikowski obviously started well for you last year. What are you going to do adding Micah Parsons and still have those holes along the deep, you know, the offensive line? A much more valuable position is offensive tackle, both from a market and on field perspective. I think Darisaw Jenkins would be my pick. Which player are they going to draft in the fourth round and call the backup joker to Kenyon Drake? My goodness, let's think about that. <laughs> Maybe Demetri Felton of UCLA would be interesting. Felipe Franks, who knows? Six foot six, oh. uh, six foot seven, Arkansas quarterback with a cannon, but also built with tight end. I don't know. We'll see, man. That that draft, man, it still blows me away what they did with that draft. I'm 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 still questioning what Mike Mayock and John Green have done over the past three years. Hey, anytime you can draft Lynn Bowden and flip him for a fourth round pick before he even shows up to practice, you have to do it every single time. You have time. to. You have He's to. Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, we appreciate it this morning. Thanks, of course, thank you. Oh, man. The Raiders draft is going to be so fascinating. Well, you know, people in the last several days, and I think you know, we mentioned it uh, in the earlier sections, 2018, I mean, I told you off the air I'm working on something. I mean, what about last year's draft class? I mean, who's right now, look at last year. I mean, this kind of sounds crazy, I guess, but is John Simpson? Well, I mean, for what they were supposed to do, because obviously Ruggs was supposed to do a lot, but we know where he ranked and Arnett. But it, it's funny because for what they were supposed to do and where they were picked, like who was the most productive? You know what I mean? Like obviously people say Ruggs and Arnett were the best players that were picked in the first round, but who really was the most productive of last year's class? I mean, Muse yeah. never played. Bowden got traded. 
Um, Amik Robertson barely played when he did. He wasn't any good. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you know, Ruggs was, you know, speaking of Austin Gill, Ruggs was 123 out of 127 on Pro Football Focus. I mean, that people talk about the 18 draft. What about last year? Yeah, they got zero impact last season from that draft class. Like, they yeah. had two first-round picks, and Damon Arnett, granted, he was injured a lot, but I don't think Damon Arnett made a single play the whole season. Henry Ruggs caught a game-winning touchdown pass against the yeah. Jets, but yeah, that he, is... He did. But that's it. Like, that's literally the only play from the entire season you can point to and say they they got something out of the draft class because Lynn Bowden and Tanner Muse never played for him. John Simpson was useless when they had to use him. Amik Robertson got burnt every single snap he played, and he only played about seven. And Brian Edwards didn't see the field. So, that yeah, they, they got nothing last year from that draft class. And it's a little bit of a worry that you look at this year and – they need to draft a starting right tackle and they might need to draft a starting free safety in the in the draft and it's like well they haven't really shown they can draft guys that start right away right. in the last right. 3 years so i don't know how i don't know how likely it is that they're landing a couple of starters yeah. in the draft when they don't really do that what does it say that Ruggs' biggest play came against the Jets? Well, a lot, Jared. And it says a lot that they needed a last-second Hail Mary and an engage eight blitz to beat the Jets as well. But, yeah, at least he caught it. Like, he could have <laughs> dropped it, Jared. He could have dropped it, and they could have lost to the he Jets. Could have had, he could have had one foot out of bounds. He could have done that, too. But Derek Carr did a good job to lead him back into the field of play and not to the sideline to make it even a question. But he could have dropped it. It could have been worse. All right. Coming up next, oh, Major League Baseball. Nobody hates baseball like Rob Manfred. He's still trying to fix it. Swing and a high fly ball. Right field coming over, getting under it, and making the catch for the third and final out to put the ball game away. The Marlins have done the job. They win this one 2-1. to one. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. So Major League Baseball this year has put in a bunch of um, test runs in minor league baseball. We're going to see one league that has robot umps, one league that has bigger bases. Uh, basically, they're trying out a bunch of different rules that could be implemented in Major League Baseball at some point in the future if they go well in the minor leagues. Well, one that is going to be used in the Atlantic League in the second half of their season is moving the rubber back one foot. So right now you pitch from 60 feet from the rubber to home plate. They're going to move it back to 61 feet from the rubber to home plate. And the idea here is the same idea we see Major League Baseball trying to fix, and that is they want more balls in play. That they that baseball as a sport right now, because it's just it's simply a better way to score runs and create offense is to try to hit home runs. Uh, batters are increasingly more to more likely to strike out, walk, and home run than ever in the sport. And when you strike, walk out, or hit a home run. The ball is not in play. There's no actual like play happening on the field. So I guess I guess is that on the premise of that, Ed, do you believe baseball needs more balls in play? Well, I mean, it's funny because the, I think the biggest problem continues to be, and I saw this on opening night where sarcastically people are saying, cool, a three and a half hour game. Cool, a four hour game. Um, I don't know what this does in terms of 
you know, getting more in play and not going deep into counts and, you know, putting the ball in play more so there are quicker outs. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but people love scoring. And I guess essentially you'd think the farther they're back, the more apt the guys are going to pick up the ball and hit it more. Um, so I think anytime they do anything that in their minds will create more offense or create more balls in play, the excitement that they're going to do. I don't, I mean, do I think this is a huge deal? It's not to me. I mean, you know, it's just an extra slab of pine tar for Bauer here because um, he's got to get a little more spin rate. You know, 61 to 60, you got to get a little more stuff on there. So, no, I don't – I mean, I don't think it's a huge deal. I, I, but I'm also not surprised because, again, essentially, like you just said, the idea would be he's farther back, so you're going to hit more. I mean, that's yeah. kind of like what they, they want. They, they have four-hour games. I mean, it's hilarious. My son last night – and this is, you know, the typical response of a 23-year-old. I'm watching the Dodgers, and he comes in – and he looks at me for two seconds. He looks up. He goes, how can you watch this game? I go, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know how you watch this sport. And that, you know, I mean, he's a typical 23-year-old kid who doesn't, would not sit and watch an entire baseball. He wouldn't sit and watch two innings. He just, he doesn't get why me or, you know, whoever loves baseball, you know, I know you watch baseball that we still watch it because that's not what excites him. So I'm not saying that this 61 is supposed to bring the 20, 23 year olds back. You know, they've never really been into it, into the game, but I understand why they're doing it. Yeah. I think the interesting part though, is that the home runs and the strikeouts are the most exciting part of the game. Like home when runs you get a, sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you get a big strikeout, like to me, that's not lacking in excitement. I understand the ball is not in play, but when you hit the ball over the fence or when you strike a guy out with the bases loaded and two outs, that's, those are the most exciting parts of the game. That's when pitchers yell or when guys throw their bats up in the air, and it's terrific. Right. Um, I don't know if 61 feet changes much, but there is another rule they're going to try in the Atlantic League, and that is involving the DH, and that the designated hitter will have to come out of the game when the starting pitcher comes out of the game. And the idea behind this rule change is they are trying to encourage starting pitchers to be left in the game longer and less reliant on using relievers as much as we see in Major League Baseball. Okay. This is a little more involved, right, than just moving the pitcher's mound back? I don't know yes. really where – I mean, what's the genesis of this? Um, that, you know, that you're you're replacing one with the other? What I, I, I'm, I was a little confused on this one is what, what, like, the advantage or disadvantage would be. Well, they're, they're just simply trying to get the specialization of relievers reduced in the league. Like right now, yeah, right. I mean... Well, now, yeah, you have a, 10 guys who pitch the 6th and 7th and right. get that. Yeah, so they're trying to make it to where you reward teams whose starting pitcher pitches longer. The problem I have with it is it's not going to work because the problem for starting pitchers throwing longer in games is is math. Like when you face an order for the third time, your starting pitcher usually gets rocked. And unless you have one of the top 10 or 15 starting pitchers in baseball, your starting pitcher should not face the order a third time. So No, unless unless we've seen the last few times. Unless nowadays, unless you're throwing a no-hitter, you're not getting passed yeah. by the sixth inning anymore. And I don't yeah. think the DH coming out of the game when the starting pitcher comes out, I don't think that changes the way teams are going to use their starting pitchers. They're not going to let a guy face the order for the third time because most of the time those starting pitcher gets rocked. 